Hey, what's going on guys? Today, I'm thinking about a 7-Eleven in 1989. Uh, the 7-Eleven was not too far from my house, but it was kind of on the other side of town. Uh, there was a guy named Raj that worked there. So, it was called Raj's Sev. That's what we all called it. Uh, I graduated high school in 1994 at the age of, I think, 17. I was kind of young for my grade. And Raj was great because, you know, we could all buy beer from him at a really young age. And, in fact, there were nights where older kids than me would ask me to go into Raj Yosef to get them beer. But in 1989, around January, February, uh, this is before all that, this is, I'm in junior high school, um, you know, not too far off from high school the following year, I guess. So, yeah, a year away. And 7-Eleven was great. You know, this these shows maybe end up sounding exactly the same. I don't know. I haven't quite mastered that part of it yet. But, you know, you had your couple places to go to, and 7-Eleven was one of them. 7-Eleven always had a great comic book rack. And you can get a, a burrito and a soda or a Slurpee. Um, that's kind of the draw for me, what 7-Eleven was when I was a kid. It was the Slurpee. And my grandpa would take me there. And, you know, of course, I'd get a comic. And, you know, that I guess maybe that's just it. I, I'm realizing that wherever I went, I got a comic. You know, it didn't matter. Away on vacation, we would stop and I would get a comic. Going to get gas, I would figure out a way to get a comic. You know, going to 7-Eleven so my grandfather could get, a you know, uh, some lotto tickets. I got a comic. Um, but 7-Eleven was one of those main places. They had a comic rack. Years later when I was getting beer, they didn't have the comic rack anymore. But in 89 they did. And in that early part of 89, I can remember pretty vividly coming out of there with the Uncanny X-Men, number 243. Now, this was a dollar, and it was it was at the sixth part of Inferno, which was the big crossover that was happening around that time. Uh, this was, again, it, it really, I guess, boils down to the cover, and I think every time I do one of these shows, I realize that it's these very iconic covers that are sticking with me, and, and this certainly is one. You got Mr. Sinister with his big hand up, and you see his face in the background. There's flames everywhere, and falling out of his hand are Storm, and Cyclops, Jean Grey, Colossus, Beast, Iceman, Longshot, Havoc, Wolverine. And this is a killer, killer cover, I always thought. Um, and this was a comic written by Chris Claremont, and the art was Mark Silvestri and Hilary Barter. Uh, number 243 came out in January of 1989 with a cover date of April 1989. Uh, Inferno was great. I don't know about you guys, but Inferno was awesome. Uh, for me, my history with the X-Men started pretty early on, early, early 80s. But what the deal was then was I was far too young to even understand how to get a comic 
or, you know, when I did, I could get what I could get. So if they didn't have an issue of Uncanny X-Men by Vernon Claremont, even though I knew what that was, when it was coming out, if I happened to be in the flea market at the time or happened to be in a store and they had an issue, I was lucky. But I was pretty young at that point, and that didn't really gel too well. But, you know, I've mentioned him before, uh, Paul, my cousin. He had all those issues. And I can remember when the Days of Future Past issues came out. And that was just monumental to me. And, you know, <laughs> he's a great guy, but, you know, back then he was a bit of a bastard because he was older than me. He was my older cousin, and he was very protective of his comics. And he would never let me open up those issues from the plastic bags, the Days of Future Past. Uh, but the, the cover with Wolverine getting burned up, man, that just really left a mark on me. And I definitely collected, when I could, the X-Men here and there. There's... I have pieces of runs, you know, the, the uh, uh, all throughout the 80s, uh, starting around 85, I think there was more like, oh, let me get X-Men issue, let me get this, let me get that, and I started to understand that little part of the Marvel Universe, all the X-Men stuff, and by uh, late 86, definitely 87, I was actively trying to buy the Uncanny X-Men month in and month out. Uh, it was a book I really looked forward to. It was one of my favorites. And around that that time, the Uncanny X-Men really... Well, I, see, they really kicked in for me at that time. And I realized that, looking back, they might have really kicked in, actually, in, like, the late 70s. And that was maybe, like, the golden era. But when you got a book, I think, that runs there for so long, you get to have little pocket eras that can mean just as much as the golden age of the character. So Claremont and Silvestri and those late 80s, that's a golden age for me. That's a real beautiful era of the X-Men. And, you know, to me, it kind of went from there till about the 92 is that chunk of X-Men that I cherish. And a lot of that's gone on to infiltrate, like, the you know, the cartoons and the movies and all that stuff. So this was a great time, and especially then. I think I really, really started to, like, froth at the mouth for the X-Men during the Fall of the Mutants. And when they, at the end of that series, you know, they were in Australia, and everybody thought they were dead. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And... I'm looking at the issues today, and I'm realizing that it only was about a year before Inferno started. And in Inferno was where all the other people in the Marvel Universe found out that the X-Men were still alive. And I just remember being a kid thinking that that was a lot longer uh, between, you know, the fall of the, the end of the fall of the mutants and, and Inferno. It felt like that was such a a bigger chunk of time and it felt like they were in the outback there for a really long time and I didn't mind I really liked those stories a lot but at the same time Inferno was great because I really wanted them to get back uh, I had a really deep love for X-Factor and the original X-Men and I loved the comic X-Factor so I was all that time I had really started to like get into this book heavily and buying it month in and month out and buying X-Factor at the time and really just dying for these teams to meet. Because that would have been really like my first time for that to happen. 
and and here comes Inferno, and this is a great, great series, where it's, you know, you got the demons and all that kind of stuff, again, I, I don't really want to get into the details of stories, you can go and read them, they're, they're worth reading, Inferno, you can go read today, and you're going to get a great, cool comic, it looked beautiful, uh, they were gorgeous, and all the issues of X-Factor, New Mutants, and X-Men tied up really well, and really formed, like, the foundation, you know, like the burn in the Claremont stuff was the, f the, like the, you know, I could see it in the distance, how good it was, but like, I still couldn't grasp it. But when we got to like 87 and we're getting into this now, 89, this is the foundation for a real deep love that really died pretty hard in about 95. Uh, and there's been times since that I've gone back to the X-Men and, and reinvested, but, um, uh, not so much anymore, and nothing has ever really touched the the, the love that I had in 1989 and 1990. Um, I have some notes here. Uh, I touched on most of what I was going to say. Um, it's funny, I realize that uh, I think when I look back at these issues, you're going to find a lot of Batman and X-Men issues. Um, I can't help it. Uh, Batman, X-Men, G.I. Joe, all kinds of, like, that kind of stuff. It was a, it was a smaller comic book world. And, and I'm realizing that as I'm going through memories and trying to think about future shows, I keep picking up, a, like, a Wolverine issue or an X-Men issue or a Batman issue. And I don't want this to be about, you know, just, like, three or four characters. I'm trying to figure out ways to spice it up and... I'm even trying to figure out a way to to talk about some different things too because this is this is a chore. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm realizing that I might not have so many memories of buying in particular issues and I'm realizing that it might just be kind of boring to just hear about the store I bought it from because everybody's been to a fucking 7-Eleven. I mean, there's nothing special about them. But I've said it week out and week in, which is reversed, so strike that. But any time I could get a comic off a rack, it didn't matter where it was. It created a special moment in my brain that stayed with me. And for better or for worse, and for just out of boredom, I guess, my brain remembered me buying this issue of the X-Men in Raja 711 in 1989. Of all the things to remember in 1989 comic book-wise, because there's so many. So many great things happened in 1989 comics. I mean, uh, what a perfect year. So, but for Perfect Tomorrows, because we're getting towards the end here, uh, Box Brown, who is brilliant, and I love his work. Uh, I have this book already, but I guess it's getting released to the main public. The Entity Observes All Things by Big Planet and Retrofit Comics. And Island Number 1 from Image, 799's Oversized Magazine, you got Kelly Sue DeConnick, Brendan Graham, Emma Rios, Ludrow. Uh, this is like heavy metal for us, like today, I think. Anyway, next week. Later, guys. Thanks.